Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram. I love that movie podcast. And if you want to support us, you can on Patreon. This show is free, but if you support us on Patreon, you do get a bonus episode that comes out weekly of just my weekly roundup and chats about various, you know, other pop culture media besides just movies. Um, and we have a lot of fun in there. So you can find that at patreon.com slash I love that movie. And I want to take a quick second to thank my top patrons who are Chris Balga, Jeff Widman, Michael Cross, and Philip Barker. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. I really appreciate you. Uh, if you ever want any, you know, I love that movie swag, we do have a Teespring. Uh, we've also got Discord and Facebook groups. If you want to continue the conversation in there, you can. And of course, we've got our website, I love that moviepodcast.com. And if you like what you hear today, guys, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. And I've got two new guests with me here today. I've got Marcus Blake and Alex Moore from That Nerd Show. Say hi, guys. Hey, what's up, Hello, audience? <laughs> hey y'all so um since this is your first time on the show why don't the both of you just introduce yourselves a little bit uh just tell everybody a little bit about your show and who you are marcus you can go ahead and go first well i'm marcus blake i am the editor and producer of uh that nerd show we are a nerd news outlet here in uh, dallas texas uh, we've been around for eight years so we cover movies comic books tv shows video games uh pop culture, generally everything nerdy. And Alex is one of my senior writers. Alex, turn it over to you. Thank you, Marcus. Been uh, writing on the show since March of 2014, I believe, and sort of been known as the classic nerd on the website. I uh, tend to focus more on retro video games, but uh, also, movies having to do with anything that is from the past more than the present, but also tend to be kind of the resident, uh, how did you say it, Marcus, uh, the indie film guy, I think is how you put it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you pretty much but, uh, all the, the really good uh, indie films uh, at the Nerd Show. <laughs> uh, but a big fan of film, big fan of video games, big fan of sports, basically almost anything related to entertainment. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm really happy to have you guys on the show. And as you know, my guests always pick the movie. So what movie did you guys choose to talk about today? Well, we chose a classic movie from the 90s, Empire Records. And uh, for those that don't know about our show, our podcast or news outlet, uh, we love anniversaries. So anything that's like 20 year, 30 year, 25 year, um, 
and with it being 2020, this year is the official uh, 25th anniversary of Empire Records. Came out in 1995, and uh, so we chose kind of a an underrated film that most people don't really talk about, uh, you know, when it comes to music. Uh, but 1995 <laughs> was a very uh, was another one of those kind of great and fun years in the 90s, you know, for movies. Um, so that's what we chose, Empire Records. Well, you know, um, before I go forward, I do want to warn my listeners, this is not spoiler free. So I would highly recommend that you watch this before you listen to the rest of this episode. I'm going to give the synopsis really quick and then we'll kind of dive into like your history with the movie and things like that. Uh, So here we go. Um, Empire Records, 1995. Uh, Joe runs Empire Records, an independent Delaware store that employs a tight knit group of music savvy youths. Hearing that the shop may be sold to a big chain, Slacker employee Lucas bets a chunk of the store's money, hoping to get a big return. When this plan fails, Empire Records falls into serious trouble, and the various clerks, including lovely Corey and gloomy Deb, must deal with the problem, among many other issues. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep, that's it. <laughs> not a super complex plot, but that's well, not why yeah. we're here, right? More, more um, character-driven than story-driven, I would say. Yeah, totally agree. Um, So I I know that I've seen this movie before, but I feel like I saw it like on MTV or like like on some sort of rotation where I would catch bits and pieces here and there. Um, So I don't have like a strong history with this movie. What about you guys? When did you first see this? Um, I was actually working at a video store uh, in 95 when it came out. Um, And like Alex and I were uh, talking about as we were prepping for this uh, podcast um this movie came out in 95 and it was only really in theaters for a few weeks um they did kind of a wide release the first couple of weeks it was gone didn't make very much money and they kept it around for you know some theaters but it was just gone i mean most people didn't really uh know about this movie until it hit video um and it hit video about the uh i want to I'm trying to remember because it has been about 25 years. Um, <laughs> no worries. Yeah, I want to say it hit our video store about January or February of 96. Um, okay. And I just remember the movie coming through. And um, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, somebody I haven't honestly talked to in 25 years. But there was a, a girl um, uh, who... It, it very much like Deb in the movie, except she wasn't trying to commit suicide or shave her head or anything, but she was the kind of cynical one. And her and I were really good friends at the store. We used, tried to work the same shifts together and, and just really had Aww. a good time. And we also played movies uh, in the store that we weren't allowed to really play, you know, you got to do that. Right. I did that at the comic shop they worked at. Right. Yeah, you got to sneak those in. But that was also our way of like saying, hey, here's a movie you should check out. Like when Mallrats finally hit video, like we immediately threw that up there. And like, oh, did you like Kevin Smith's Clerks film? Here's his second film. You should run it. And that's really how we found out about Empire Records. We didn't know anything about it. You know, none of the stars were really widely known. And we just threw it up mm-hmm. one day and we're bored and was like, oh, awesome. This this also has a really great soundtrack. 
So right. uh, the gal's name was, uh, uh, is Laura Sanderford. And I'm like, this is a shout out to you, Laura. I'm sure you'll <laughs> maybe never hear this, but I, re I do remember, <laughs> I do remember <laughs> us playing Empire Records in the video store. Um, and also finding, a, uh, getting a copy of, uh, somebody got a copy of the soundtrack and, you know, made a mixtape of it like you do. So, yeah. It's what about you, Alex? It's in the universe, yeah. Laura. <laughs> it's in the universe. Um, <laughs> like, like most people, I didn't see it in theaters. And it was around that time I was in junior high and really started getting into movies, but was watching a lot of silly or stupid movies, you might say, for lack of a better term. And that movie was circulating on one of the cable movie networks. I don't know which one, maybe Showtime or Stars or something like that. And so this was how I really came came to know this movie and watched it a few different times. It's not one that I remember as fondly or, as, or think about as often as some of the other movies from that era. And I know we were talking about 1995, but you know, it had a tough act to follow with its previous year, and Marcus knows that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we should explain. Um, um, one of the reoccurring themes at that nerd show is how 1994 was the greatest year in movies next to 1939. There's just so many great movies that came out in 94, Hidden Gems. And anytime we, you know, talk about a movie, we immediately have to think, did that come out in 94 without a 94 movie? So <laughs> everyone's got that year that they just adore. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I find him like Alex is saying about discovering it on cable. It's funny how we still even do that. Or, you know, nowadays it's streaming services. Um, sure. Even with us in the press where we do see movies early. Uh, if we don't, if we miss a press screening or, they didn't even do one or we didn't watch the screener, you know, we'll discover it, you know, years later. And I've done that over the, the last eight years since we've been doing this, where I remember I didn't go to the press screening for whatever reason. And then I discovered this movie on cable and it was really good, but you, but I think it was more prevalent, you know, obviously before streaming services sure. where you would just be like, I don't really remember this movie or what, <laughs> but you know, again, too, if you were, if anybody ever worked at a blockbuster or any kind of movie rental place when they were around, I mean, you, you discovered movies, um, either just by passing, looking at the cover art, um, or whatever things that were just really good are very surprising that maybe not, didn't get a movie, didn't get a release or was quickly out of the theaters. So, I mean, I could see a lot of people discovering Empire Records that way or eventually getting thrown up on cable as, hey, here's a here's a movie on TNT. We just played Can't Hardly Wait. <laughs> Watch Empire Records. <laughs> you yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, um, I remember seeing the poster a lot. That's probably what sticks out of my mind, seeing the cover art either on VHS or like a poster of it. I feel like I saw that a lot in the nineties, like in the late. Well, 90s. I think a lot of yeah. what made this, uh, made people go and watch this movie too, was the soundtrack. The soundtrack was more popular mm -hmm. because it's another one of those great soundtracks from the nineties where it's just a bunch of various artists uh, put together. So you have a lot yeah. of, you have a lot of songs that, um, 
got thrown on the soundtrack. Some were very popular. Uh, they were made specifically, I don't want to say for the soundtrack, but they came out around the, around 95. But you also had some classic right. songs on there, too, from the 80s. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Video Killed the Radio Star. And sure. you and you have these characters talking about different genres of music and generations of music. Um, so they it's very eclectic and they listen to a lot of different things um, and stuff. By the way, here's a... Yeah. Here's an interesting, you know, question for your audience out there. Uh, but Video Killed the Radio Star, uh, what is its true claim to fame for that song? Anybody know? Yes. I think, well, hopefully we all know. But uh, the first official MTV music video back in 19. 19- <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Okay. All right. Like, is I that just want to make sure no one's <laughs> nerd card had to be revoked here. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, people still know that, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Unless there's like some other well, fact I don't know about. <laughs> there's, there's something interesting else I think to note about the the soundtrack and the music, and um, it, it wasn't really the kind of music I was listening to at that time, which I guess is mostly like alternative indie music, I guess, right? But um, they uh, Warner Brothers had a contract with Atlantic Records uh, mm. exclusively, and. Before they put out that movie, they actually handed over the rights to the music to AM Records because there were four or five artists that they wanted to feature in that soundtrack, and they were afraid they wouldn't get them unless they had the AM label for the soundtracks. They all belonged to that label. So right. I oh, wow. that was an important move that they made to boost the sales for the records or the soundtrack. And, you know, I think the fact that the music is more known than the movie itself is probably part of what makes it a cult classic to some and may have actually helped the movie out a little bit because it really did bomb at the box office overall. Yeah. And uh, I don't think people appreciated music movies in the mid-90s like we do now. I mean, another thing we were talking about is this is – the you, you could look at this movie as the predecessor to High Fidelity, which – most mm-hmm. people who would know music know that movie, and it's such a that movie is so quotable. And by the way, we did want to do that movie originally, but <laughs> <laughs> it got it got snuck out from under y'all. I'm sorry I about that. Don't know who did it, but I feel like we could talk about it better. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tell them that. Uh, but yeah, you know that kind of leads me into the next section of my podcast. Usually, I, I spit out a couple of quick facts. I've just got two today. Um, I think you guys are more knowledgeable about this movie than me, but I'll, I'll, I'll just lay a couple down. Uh, the first one that I had was that the movie was written by a former employee of Tower Records um, at the Christown Mall in Phoenix, Arizona. Some of her former co-workers were still working there and cited anecdotes and other elements of this movie related to the store for a long time after the movie's release. And then it adds, uh, the store closed in 2005. Yeah. <laughs> but... Well, like every store did, you know, there's like no record stores anymore, but yeah. No. And, um, I think that's very interesting too. Uh, uh, Carol Heiken, Heiken, if I'm pronouncing Heineken, Heiken, I don't know. Heikinen. Yeah. (laughs) One of those. Well, we, I, I think that's what, I think that's very interesting in the fact that too, that we, we tend to forget how more movies were written based off of, you know, those personal experiences of, you know, well, let's say dazed and confused, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, 
knowing all of those kinds of guys or hearing their stories and how they partied, that's, those are those characters. Clerks, sure. you know, Kevin Smith wrote it based off the place, the quick stop he was working at at the time and all the interesting characters mm-hmm. that came through. So it, I think it stands to reason that you would have a movie about working at a record shop and all those eclectic characters and their different tastes in music. Um, and of course, at the time, it would obviously be Tower Records, you know. Of course. So. And I think, too, it's interesting that the writer, you know, is female. Um, a lot of the characters in the story, there's, I, I guess, for this kind of movie, I feel like there's more female characters. Do you guys agree? Yeah. And so, and they balanced. play like a different, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Alex. No, I was just going to say, I think it's pretty balanced. Uh, but yeah, the, the I would say the primary figures are, it's probably, to me, it's more Liv Tyler than anyone else. So, I mean, I think that's definitely true. Yeah, it's probably, you know, her stand-in, right? The writer. Uh, it, it kind of feels that way. And I think, too, like, the dynamic between some of those characters is a little bit different than uh, your run-of-the-mill, you know, teenage coming-of-age story. It's definitely balanced, though, like you said. I agree with that. I just noticed that it seemed like the girl characters had a little more to do. Right. Um, and that could be because it's written from her perspective. Um, like you said, the Liv Tyler character, I think it starts with uh, two other characters being more important, but as the story goes on, it, it seems to be more about her than I expected it to be, or mm-hmm. from what I remembered. So it's just an interesting fact. Um, I also had that the movie was originally filmed in to, to be two days. It was supposed to take place over two days, but was cut into one day. Right. They did a lot of editing. Uh, I think they cut out like 40 minutes of film that was originally going to be shown in the movie. And uh, I think that was part of the process of turning it into the 24 hour period as well. Well, here's, here's one funny story that I, that I find fascinating about this movie is that Toby Maguire was supposed to be in it and he auditioned and, you know, came went to the location because uh, the director put them all up in beach houses because he wanted all of them to be the cast to become friends. And mm-hmm. Roy Cochran and Renee Zellweger were dating at the time, you know, both coming from Dazed and Confused. But Toby McGuire just like after a couple of days, yeah, I don't think this is for me. I'm going to go back to L.A., write a screenplay. And, of course, he was high on something. And um, I know Ethan Embry even said something in an interview one time is like, I think he was in the movie. He was supposed to be. And I don't know. I just met him at the audition and he went off and <laughs> didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of, speaking of Ethan Embry, this was the last movie where he was not known as Ethan Embry, but Ethan Randall. Right. And after the movie, he became known as Ethan Embry. And I remember when I was looking at the casting list, like, Oh yeah, it's Ethan Randall here before we knew him as Ethan Embry now. So, right. <laughs> No, and uh, yeah, so so I, what I find interesting, th- this is what I find more interesting about uh, this movie than anything else. Um, I, it's great how the director wrote this because I, I, or I mean, not the director, but the writer, because I feel like we all know those people. We, we know. We, oh, absolutely. Right. Especially in the 90s. Exactly. <laughs> we... Uh, I worked with people like that at a video store. I, I knew people and their different takes on music. And when you were still, you know, making actual mix cassette tapes, because nobody had a CD player on a computer at that time. Um, you know, that was just way too expensive. But mm-hmm. um, the director, Alan uh, Moyle, um, mm-hmm. 
He is known for uh, some interesting choices in movies that he, you know, started out as an indie, an, an indie filmmaker, like most do. Did this movie called Times Square back in 1980, which was kind of his first, I guess, sort of big movie about two girls escaping at a mental hospital and becoming, uh, forming a punk rock band. And the guy who kind of huh. becomes a fan is, fan is Tim Curry as a DJ in New York while they're dealing with all of their problems. <laughs> but then the next movie that he does 10 years later, his big movie is he writes a book called pump up the volume. And then it gets turned into a movie with Christian Slater, uh, in 1990. So you jump ahead here and you're looking at movies that are de- that are dealing with kind of disenfranchised youth, youth that are going through problems, struggling with who they are, what they like, you know, the world around them, whether it's two loony girls forming a punk band to a guy having his voice in a pirate radio station to a bunch of misfits at a record store who come together in two things the fact that they don't want the store to become part of a corporate chain and the fact that they all hate Rex Manning. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say though, the character of Rex Manning to me, he kind of steals the show for me at least. Oh uh, yeah. I, the, the, the funniest part of that movie is literally the video they had to make of. (laughs) I know it's awful. (laughs) So bad. Right. It's so bad that, Good, right? I know. Exactly. Oh, yeah. But again, I mean, the guy, you know, Ethan Embry, who plays Mark, I mean, this is literally the greatest quote of the movie. We mustn't dwell. No, not today. We can't. Not on Rex Manning Day. I don't know, though. I think, I hope you like the taste of blue cheese. That sticks in my mind for some reason. <laughs> uh. Um by the way, in case anybody doesn't know, Rex the official Rex Manning Day is April eighth. Okay, I was I was going to ask uh, about that. Passed. Yeah, I didn't really. Yeah, know that. we we'll have to all celebrate next year. Yeah, so I, have a, I have a funny story because we've actually interviewed uh, Ethan Embry at that nerd show. Um, he was at the Dallas Film Festival five years ago, four or five years ago. Uh, for a film, and he was kind of showing the ropes to all the younger actors in this film how to do red carpet interviews. Um, mm-hmm. So we mostly talked to him about past movies and the movie he was in, and literally kind of in unison as he's leaving the red carpet, like me, Daniel, a couple of other people, Daniel DeRay from Drive-By, I was like, hey, happy Rex Manning Day. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, he's like, I'm always going to be forever known <laughs> tied to Rex Manning Day because of that movie. It's like, yep, yep. Yeah. I mean, for me, he's bigger in Can't Hardly Wait. Like, I loved that movie. Yeah, and he's just known so much. He's player. He doesn't even have a real name in that movie. He's just the bass player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I agree about Can't Hardly Wait. But, uh, you know, again, it's just. He's the pothead music guy that everybody knows. You know, we all know that guy. Oh, yeah. Um, who, eclectic taste of music. I love him dancing throughout the store. And then, of course, getting high off the brownie and envisioning him in a music video. <laughs> and they kill With him war. on stage. Yeah. Right. Eaten by, eat by a stuffed, uh, what, was, what was that? Like a plant? Like a, a man in a plant suit? 
I have no idea. Nick, my, my husband knew what it was. He said something like, oh, no, it's the slug. Or it, I guess it comes up in every show and eats somebody because he's Nick automatically. My husband knew like <laughs> what it was, what was going on. And okay. I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> I haven't had enough magic brownies, I guess. Right. Or, or seen enough war, I guess. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> the, the whole Rex Manning thing is just absolutely ridiculous and and i think that's kind of the the staple at, a, at the time where you know the beginning of the 90s you're you're getting into grunge music and stuff oh, you're yeah. still dealing with this over the top poppy you know crazy music that caters to women so to speak um and it's just ridiculous it's ridiculous to think that music would still be popular um but the fact that, you know, they all make fun of him, too, and, and it's just that generational thing. Um, so I thought that was kind of important to the movie. Also, the yeah. guy who played him uh, did it brilliantly, and he was just hilarious. He uh, was. Maxwell Caulfield. Yeah. Now, I'm going to, because this is your podcast, Lisa, I got to know, and it really, I just want to see if you did your uh, research. Maxwell Caulfield. Oh, okay. Do you know the movie that made him? that he made his bones out as an actor like that made him famous he looked really familiar to me um really hmm. you you just know oh, okay well it's not like it's a great movie or anything well he played the main hunk in Greece 2 with Michelle Pfeiffer yeah. Oh yeah, I have not um, seen that. It's not, it's not that great. So, so... no, 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 it's yeah. a terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, I skipped that. Right, one. right, but <laughs> but hey. I may watch it someday. It might be on the show. You never know. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm serious. Obviously, yeah, obviously Michelle <laughs> Pfeiffer is more famous uh, than him. But uh, yeah, yeah, they both kind of became stars after that movie. So. Interesting. Yeah, he okay. went from being the hunk um, in Greece too to Rex Manning. <laughs> Lovely. Yes. But, uh, anyway, so I got to ask you, Lisa. I mean, you, you you didn't see it when it came out, and you went back and and watched this movie uh, in preparation for your podcast. What did you think of it? Um, you know, to be honest, okay, so this came out in 1995. So I would have probably I would have been 12 when this came out. So I think that it I, I think that I connect a lot more with a movie like Can't Hardly Wait because that came out later. Right. And I was at the right age to see that movie. And so I, I think I when I posted about this, like in my Facebook group and on Twitter, that I was even just watching it, my feed lit up with quotes and gifts and just pure love for this film. And everybody that felt that way, I think they were about y'all's age. So I, I think that wow. I, I enjoyed it, but I think that had I been the target audience when it came out or right around when it came out, I think that I would have a different connection with the movie yeah um now well, by comparison yeah. my husband who's about a year and a half younger than me hmm. he hadn't ever watched this all the way through and he hasn't seen can't hardly wait either and so i'm like man <laughs> i don't know if i should show him that you <laughs> 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 might not like it at all you know so i think it's kind of like that it's kind of like that thing that happened to people that were a little too old when 
or a little too young when um, like the Goonies came out. Right. Like you've got two kinds of people in this world, people that like the Goonies and people that hate it. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not in a hate category by any means, but I do feel like I didn't see it when it would have grabbed me nostalgically the same way it has you guys, I think. Is that fair? Well, well the thing is, I'm, I'm actually closer to your age than Marcus's age. Oh, uh, okay. Said, but um, I think a lot of it has to do with just what movies you watched at the right time. So it's kind of yeah. along the lines of what you said. The Goonies came out in, I think, like 1985. Yeah. And that wasn't a movie that I necessarily gravitated towards. I saw it a number of times when I was a kid. But I remember a movie more like The NeverEnding Story or Return to Oz. Oh, I love better. that movie, too. It came out around the same time. So, right. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> well, um, what's the other one? Uh, is it Monsters? or No, Little Monsters also came out about the same time as The Goonies. And I think you get a lot more people that gravitate towards that. Like, I, I've always noticed that about you're a Goonies person or you're a Little Monsters person. And so you're right about it hitting at the right time. And I think you appreciate, you appreciate stuff more if they're your age group. Like I'm not saying how I met your mother is really that great of a show, but I appreciate it because they're the same age as me. Okay. Yeah. Based on their timeline. Um, And when that show ended, one of our other senior writers, Allison Costa, her and I basically did the podcast talking about the ending of that show and talked for an hour about different stories and related because, you know, we were the same age as these characters. So, yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's it, it has to do with being at the right age of these particular characters and working while it's not a record store, but working in a video store and appreciating, you know, working with people like that. And then you guys, and then you go off and to college or military, and you know live your life and, and stuff like that. And you wonder where these yeah. kind of people are twenty twenty five years later. Um, and everybody knows the girl that wants to lose her virginity to someone kind of famous or a hero, and then it ends up being disappointing and <laughs> or and. Gross. But yeah, like, I think that's where I want to go next with this. I want to hit on some of y'all's favorite scenes. Not that that's your favorite scene, I hope, but, <laughs> but we can, uh, let's, let's talk about some of y'all's favorite scenes. Um, really, Ethan Randall, um, just the dancing throughout the entire store, anything that he does, because uh, he's such a spaz throughout that entire movie. Uh, the, I think my absolute favorite scene is Warren, the guy that shoplifts and holds a gun on them. Okay. Oh yeah. Part of his punishment is he has to take a photo with Rex Manning. I love that. (laughs) Rex Manning is just like, sure, I'll take a picture with the kid getting taken by the police for shoplifting. (laughs) <laughs> I love the dramatic uh, when he does do the shoplifting and um, Renee Zellweger gets on that PA system and like narrates yeah. the, sh- yeah. the I liked I appreciated that scene too because anybody that's ever worked retail I mean the shoplifting incident is like it's terrible but it's also like a weird highlight right 
to working at a store. <laughs> um, and so I really appreciated that scene. Plus, it's just so easy to lift those CDs, you know? Right. I mean, not that I haven't done that, actually. I don't know, just yeah, I don't know if anybody but, remembers I, uh, Hastings books, movies, and uh, music. And I worked, I worked at one of those stores for a little while in college. And yeah, I mean, you always knew the people who were stealing CDs. And you're like... <laughs> do I really care? Should I go after them? What can we do? And then you're just like, yeah, <laughs> you're like, I'm not being paid enough. I'll just let someone else. Do right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a meeting about shrinkage, you know, on Friday, oh, we'll talk about it then. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, what's your favorite uh, scene from that movie? Well, you know, um, I, I do like, I do like, you know, sort of the scene that actually does remind me a bit um, of a, high fidelity, which is where there's sort of the, you know, you have the guy, um, I'm sorry, forgetting his, the name of the character in, in the, in the movie offhand, but he kind of goes after Warren, who is the shoplifter and ends up sort of having a sit down and befriending him and having a conversation with them. And he's kind of going through the CDs he stole and he's kind of got rock alternate. <laughs> alternative was like Woody Houston. And it, it made me think of that scene in high fidelity where it's like, I want to see what you got. And they, they pull it out. It's like, what are you stealing for someone else? And so it's almost like you shoplifted and, uh, and I'm going to make fun of what you stole too. So <laughs> ah, you're um, right. There's a shoplifting scene in that. Right, right. I forgot about that. <laughs> right. But that's years later. So you have to say the OG would have to be uh, Empire Records in that, in that case. But I think, the, I think what I like the most, for some reason, I, I like the part where, Renee Zellweger gets up on the, you know, the roof with the band and she's doing sort of some singing. And then the, the band member says, take the lead on this. And she's reluctant, but then she kind of gets into it. And it's like, she sort of is now embracing the moment. And so I like that idea. Cause it's like, we've all kind of been in that situation where something is kind of scary and you're not sure if you're going to like it, but you kind of want to do it. And then you do it and you realize how much you enjoy it. And it's, it's just a really great moment in your life that you hope you won't forget. Right. Well, and she, her character was so misunderstood. I mean, you know, this is the 90s. So we're like, you know, just for younger people out there, I guess, like slut shaming is in full force. It was a thing. Um, and, you know, uh, Liv Tyler's character and everybody really like shames her hardcore about about her sex life. It comes up a lot throughout the film and. She's kind of trying to own it, but it also really hurts her feelings. And then in the end, she has like this rock star moment. And it's like, hey, man, she's living that rock star lifestyle. You know, <laughs> yeah. something that you don't see, you didn't see a lot of women do back then uh, openly. But it's kind of like, hey, that kind of fits, you know, she's <laughs> she, uh, you know, she's passionate. And uh, that's that's OK. And I, I like getting her having a good moment like that and not just being, you know, quote unquote, the slut. Well. She reminds me of somebody that I went to high school with that was obviously a little bit more slutty than everybody else. And this was the first time I ever heard this quote um, that some uh, uh, somebody who's promiscuous is just somebody who's getting more sex than you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like, um, it's fine, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but it's like as a kid, you know, you're and also I, I think it played off a lot of Liv Tyler's character. I feel like this is something that's kind of unsaid when you're young, but she's also like Loki jealous because she uh-huh. can't be open with her personality. And Renee points that Renee's character, Gina, points that out to her, like, you know, that she's kind of, you know, quote unquote fake. She's not really uh, being her authentic self. Um 
you know, there's also the addiction that, again, sort of a 90s trope, like, thrown in there. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's like she kind of resents the fact that Renee's character uh, just embraces her whole well, personality, you know? I, here's an interesting question about, you know, growing up in the 90s. Do you feel like slut shaming was a little bit more prevalent back then that people didn't understand it? Or understand things about sex as much as we might do now because we live in the you know, we live with the internet and the internet outside of conspiracy theories is one big porn machine that's free well yeah i mean you know definitely a lot has changed since the 90s <laughs> right. uh but that's i would also say problem, yeah i would say like when i was oh go ahead i'm sorry alex no i didn't even i it was one of those things where we were both making a point you got there first so it's cool you go ahead. yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> didn't mean to beat you to it no, no, no. um but but i would say that you know i guess as a girl in the 90s and as a teenager in the 90s um there was a lot of pressure i think to call other people out um i don't i think we have a different view on like female friendships and relationships now I mean, I certainly probably would have joined in on being ugly to somebody I think that I was in high school. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, you know, we, everybody loses if we all gang up on each other. That's not cool. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of messaging now, even in, in teen movies, to like not be that way. So I don't know. I think I think kids nowadays just they get different messages that they probably used to when we were younger. And I'm, I'm definitely not blaming that on like. You know, I'm not like, oh, you grew up in the 90s, you're garbage, because I did too. Yeah. But um, but I do think, like, the messaging around stuff like that has changed. And even in this movie, though, it's from the 90s, and that there's a turning point in it, right, where, like, we view that character differently by the end, so that's positive. Maybe that's because it was a female writer, I don't know. But, yeah, I think uh, a lot about that kind of stuff has changed. I also think that people might have been a little bit more, you know, close-minded uh, back then. I think kind of Oh, yeah. Again, it gets back to my point about the evolution of the internet and there's more. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. And more people can, you know, come out. Uh, think about how many people that we went to high school with that we kind of knew they were gay, but they couldn't come out for a long time. It wasn't right. acceptable. So I think there's, there's that aspect of it compared to, you know what? Yes. I am having sex. I've, I've slept with a few people in high school. We, we think about that now as, oh, that's probably not that big of a deal, but. Yeah, we're like, oh, that's normal. But back then it yeah, was like. 25 <gasps> years ago, oh my God. <laughs> you know. You're having sex? Oh my gosh. No one else is doing that in high school. Only everyone is. Yeah. <laughs> I still I still think that there is a bit of a double standard. It's not quite as prevalent as it was, you know, uh 25 years ago or even 15 years ago uh, in terms of that um, sort of we were alluding to before, I still think that slut shaming is a thing and more of a, oh, certainly yeah. more of a problem for girls than for boys. I mean, I hate to make, I hate to use an example from a show, but if you go back and look at say like Cobra Kai in the first season, you, there is an example of that. And it's like, it wasn't even because of, it wasn't even because she actually did anything. It's because she wouldn't do it. And so the boys, the boy decided, I'm going to just spread rumors that she is this way when she, because I'm bad that she didn't put out. Right. So yeah. it's but still even that's different. Thing. Like the, the right. message is different now, right? They're yeah. teaching people now, like, hey, this is bad. Right. You know, mm -hmm. don't do this, but which is I think, different. I think also, though, you can look at comparisons and contrasts with the decades, because in the 80s, decadence and, you know, 
doing things the full nine yards was kind of a thing. And so I think, yeah. I think sexuality was more open in the eighties until there was kind of the AIDS scare that kind of quieted things down a little bit, maybe. Oh. But then in the nineties, there was kind of a conservative movement. And yeah. so maybe that's why values there's oh, yeah, you're right. contrast just between those two decades. But again, you know, these things, if you look at movies that are with teenagers that are dealing with their own problems that are different from one another, but find that they have a lot in common, you know, uh, The Breakfast Club, Empire Records, Clerks, things that can't hardly wait. You realize that those themes never really change about what people are dealing with. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Empire Records is another great movie of showing these kids that we all know because i look at these kids and i'm like these are the same kids that were in detention <laughs> breakfast club. right okay <laughs> they just really love yeah. music you you know who the bad boy is you know who's the artistic one the, the kind of weird one um and there is something that brings them all together and for this movie it's we don't we don't want to you know we don't want this to turn into a corporate store <clears throat> And the guy who owns it just wants to have a great, simple record store. I really love the scene where he gets mad and turns up the ACD song, ACDC song and plays drums and everybody's dancing. <laughs> they, yes. they put it on the intercom. But again, the, the, yeah. the PR rep who quits in the movie and says, oh, I've had it with Rex Manning. And, you know, it's, you, you, you see the two adults like these two will probably end up together and run a record store yeah. and, do their thing um, and be happy. But like I said, those themes, those themes never really truly change. And I think that's probably the greatness of this movie is they are different. They fight, but they all have the same problems. And it's what, what are we going to come together for? Well, obviously it's going to be a big mm-hmm. party at the end of the movie. <laughs> We're saving the record store, you know, with a live band, <laughs> which is also really cool. I, I mean, um, that uh, Al- and Alex, I'm going to make a '94 reference. Uh, uh, that the big party at the end with people coming out and them raising money and stuff. It really reminded me of one of my favorite movies from '94, uh, Airheads, where they come out and party at the radio station. We talked about that a lot last night. We're like, remember Airheads? <laughs> like, I did watch that movie several times. Yeah, that's still a great movie too. <laughs> but everybody, yeah, just come on out and party and. Uh, it was just fantastic, and I feel like I feel like that's exactly that's the answer to all things. Well, life is shit. Let's just <laughs> let's go out and throw one big. Except party. right now, party digitally. Well, or wear a mask. So yeah, wear a mask. Good idea. Um, but no, I mean, getting back to like the 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 soundtrack, I find that the soundtrack is just this great eclectic, uh, you know collage of music put together some classic songs like from acdc you know video killed the radio star i think the only one that was uh really um the most popular was the uh here here it comes again song is the one that really hit the charts uh by Mm. please if i'm correct but you also had toad the wet sprocket you know on their very cool 90s band um but yeah, I mean, the soundtrack, I think, really just kind of fit what this is, you know, what 
the the the, the theme of this movie as there's great little new mu- you know pieces of music from the 90s but we still listen to to classic um uh rock and 80s music and then if you really want to sum up the mu- uh, the movie through an epilogue um it's the two guys sitting on the curb arguing about music <laughs> during the credits. yeah so <laughs> so here's my question do you feel like with this kind of being the predecessor to high fidelity, that there are some things that high fidelity might have stolen from this movie. I mean, I think Alex already alluded to that, right? Yeah. I mean, I do. <laughs> so, but when did the I mean, book maybe come there out? was a bit of a template there or maybe, yeah. you know, the writing involves like, we, we like these elements from this movie and we kind of want to find a way to bring them back uh-huh. somehow. Right. That does happen. Uh, mm-hmm. That's an interesting question about the book. I know the book came out like in the uh, the mid nineties. Trying to uh, look mm. that up. Or oh. could it just be? Here's your conspiracy theory. The book Uh-oh. was published in 1995. Oh. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Do you feel like sometimes there's just like a collective consciousness thing going on? <laughs> you know, like it could just be that. Too, right. Like where. <laughs> You know, everyone's thinking about kind of the same ideas at the same time. It, I mean, it could be. you know, it's hard to downplay how important record stores were then. You know, right. I mean, that's something looking back like, I mean, everyone's just like listening to their Spotify account now. But, you know, uh, things were different. Then. I, you know, what? A, I, a place to I really out. miss the idea of somebody bringing in. OK, man, I made this really awesome mixtape, you know, and the guy with the brownies, Eddie, just explaining <laughs> there's an order to it you know and yeah his order to the music is how you're going to listen to it while you're eating my pot right. and that, that's <laughs> like the guys in high fidelity they're very sophisticated in their approach to how they put together their mixtapes and yeah you know the main character robert talks about that at pretty great length in the movie so and there, yeah there's a subtle art to it Yes. <laughs> I wonder if it's because the type of person that would be doing that was also getting older. And so in high fidelity, you have to make that character older now. Right. You know, right, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's like, I mean, obviously they're, they're, they're too much, old, too much older when you consider that those movies were like five years apart in terms of when they were released in theater for it to be a true, like spiritual successor. But at the same time, if you've seen those two movies, you can kind of see where this is kind of like where they ended up 10 years later, maybe. Oh, for sure. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think, you know, now it's like, th- there's not, there's no mixtape now. I mean, I guess you could be like, uh, here's the playlist I made on Spotify. <laughs> I keep right. referencing that, or I don't know my YouTube playlist, but there's not, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't exist anymore. So well, I- it, it, that's how I feel about, honestly, about video stores. Um, I don't have quite the same connection to a record store but i miss spending a lot of time at blockbuster and i miss you know that whole vibe and culture and i just i i'm nostalgic for that for sure well and if you work at places like this in your downtime it's the conversations that you have you know where Mm -hmm. you you know what what movies do you watch when you're sick you know, and then you automatically like disqualify somebody. You can't say the Princess Bride because he's already sick in the movie, and that's how the movie starts. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. Why not? Yeah. 
<laughs> there's rules. There's also like a level of arrogance to being a record store guy or a movie person that you don't get to have anymore because there is you don't have that like you know access that they did back then and in, in, in get to be an expert now the information's everywhere right? right so it's like a little bit the dynamic is even a little bit different like the club has changed anyone can come in whereas i think back then it's like if you work at blockbuster or you work at a record store like you really do have an edge on like the average person that walks in there right um I kind of miss the, you know, those days too of when movies would come out like, oh yeah, you totally loved, uh, you, you, oh you totally loved Bad Boys by Michael Bay. Well, you gotta totally watch The Rock, you know, to change your life, or, you know, <laughs> when did the conversation happen? <laughs> I'm just. When you were saying The Rock, the enthusiasm there, Marcus, I thought you were going to slip into a Cage impression. For um, a second, no. But I do love the movie The Rock. <laughs> Me too. I do. I, I, hate Michael Bay, that movie I do too. love that movie. He's allowed one good movie a decade. I've already, yeah, one one good movie a decade. That's it. So <laughs> I kind of look at um, if you if you think of movies that deal with mixtapes, if you really think of it, I I, I kind of have to give Empire Records uh, the beginning of that because it's the first time you really oh. talk about mixtapes in a movie per se. Um, Cause the next one after that is obviously high fidelity, but then you, or uh, can't hardly wait. I guess you can, they, they touch on it a little bit. Um, I would put like high fidelity at like a 10 and can't hardly wait. Right. But like the other, I mean, I love it, but it's not like as deep. Right. Is that other movie? But yeah. the other movie that really touched on making awesome mixtapes was Nick and Nora's infinite playlist, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that movie is about 15 years old. Is it 15 years old? I had to think about that because oh, we actually interviewed um, the author and the screenwriter for that movie uh, a couple years ago. Uh, he was here promoting a movie and doing one-on-one -on -one interviews, and him and I were just talking about mixtapes uh, from that movie. I was like, this is the only chance I'm going to get to talk to you about uh, that movie, you know, even though it's years past. And we spent about 10 minutes, well, about five minutes talking about that. And then I found out his brother was in Vampire Weekend, which was featured on the soundtrack. Oh, wow. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and I kind of had this conversation with a friend who – her and I record and share music with one another and we're pulling out all sorts of stuff that we like. And, uh, she was complaining. It's like, I, I, I have a hard time trying to bring it up like on your website when I'm in the car and it's like, I got to make you a mixtape. I got to burn you a CD, man. The old fashioned way like we were in college. <laughs> She's like, yeah, do I have a CD player in my super duper electronic BMW? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the thing, right? You might not even have that anymore. No. <laughs> or, you know, how many people uh, remember back in the day uh, when you heard a song on the radio, but you couldn't afford to go buy the single or whatever, but you're quickly rushing the tape player to try to get. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Recorded a lot of 106.1 in my room. Yes. Uh, at age nine. <laughs> And I uh, listened to a lot of music I wasn't allowed to. Yes. Um, but, you know, they didn't know what I was doing in there with my little cassette recorder. <laughs> they had no idea. They're never going to listen to it. I, I played that on my Walkman. No. But I definitely think that there's a lot of love for uh, this movie. 
you know, really becoming a cult. There is. Uh, yeah. Becoming a cult favorite. And it's hard to imagine that it is 25 years later and, you know, where these guys, where all of this cast has, you know, gone off, you know, the things they've done. I mean, obviously Liv Tyler became more popular um, after Armageddon and, you know, they're all kind of middle-aged now and Renell Zegwager. Read and Michael Bay now. What's up with that? Do what? <laughs> You've made three Michael Bay references now. What's wrong with you? Dude. <laughs> being, he wants base explosions. I'm being paid. <laughs> Get some money on the side from Michael Bay. Uh, he's, just, he's just like Venmoing you money. <laughs> Mention me today on this obscure podcast. Well, this is the last reference I will make, but it, but uh, <laughs> if it weren't for Michael Bay, uh, probably wouldn't have a reason to do a nerd news outlet because this is literally the genesis of that nerd show. I had just quit. I just got out of politics. I had been doing a political radio show and interviewing candidates for like four years. And I mean, you think it's crap now. I got burned out like in 2012 from talking with idiots. Um, but uh, like two days after I quit, people were arguing on my Facebook wall about Michael Bay doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And it just went on for days. And I'm like, oh, Lord. Okay, I think I have my next podcast, <laughs> a nerd podcast. And we started uh, two weeks later. Uh, the two guys who originally started with me went on, uh, and then Brendan came on. And then a couple of years later, we hired a, like a writing staff and everything. But yeah, it was arguing about Mike, uh, arguing about Michael Bay doing another film. That's the genesis of that nerd show. So yeah, I mean, I kind of have to mention Michael Bay a little bit. Or I, I mean, that's refreshing, though, to go from arguing about just the, you know, I, I'm not going to get too political, but, you know, the, the, the shit show that well, <laughs> we're currently facing. Still, um, but, you know, to, to talk about turtles would be very refreshing. Well, I still laugh that's like, you know, three weeks prior, I interviewed a guy running for uh, running for governor in 2010 uh, or. No, not a. Not a governor. Well, I did interview that guy at that time, but I know it was a congressional uh, candidate who um, didn't really care what was going on. He just wanted to make sure that Texas uh, should secede from the union, but he had no plan afterwards. He's just like, everything will be all right if we secede. And he was just a crazy nut job. Obviously, he didn't win. And then you go on weeks later arguing about more important things. Michael Bay screwing up Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ruining our childhoods. Yeah, and he did. <laughs> I, he did. He went back yeah. in time and punched my childhood right. in the face. I predict you um, ruined that movie. Just ignore uh, the movie. <laughs> I think I saw it, but I don't remember it. Like there are some movies yeah. that I see, and the second it's over, my mind deletes. It's like goodbye, you right. know. So I don't really remember it, but I don't. It didn't stick in my mind. So I don't think it was good, but I don't remember. Right. Well, they look more like <laughs> they looked more like lizards than turtles. So I just think of them they as looked, the teenage mutant ninja lizards. They look scary, but I, you know, I don't know. The ones when we were kids were kind of scary too. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it was weird. That was good. We had Jim Henson back then. He did. He he softened the horror of a giant turtle. <laughs> it's also a ninja. It's also a teenager. I mean, there's something not right about that, but you know, it's a big part of my childhood. So, you know, I accept it. Right. <laughs> um, 
But back to this movie, did you guys have any other scenes that you felt like we hadn't covered yet? Uh, I, I thought they had a kind of a little nice reference to uh, the MASH, the original MASH movie, where Deb is having problems and they kind of give her a funeral to try to coax her out of the Yes. <laughs> I didn't even make that MASH connection, but you're well, right. Well, I have to... I'm dropping that reference for two reasons. Um, since the Dallas Film Festival got canceled this year, they were actually going to be celebrating the 50th anniversary of the movie. And uh, supposedly some of the cast uh, was going to be coming to Dallas for the anniversary. Oh, no. And it didn't happen. We were very disappointed. Um, but I watched that movie not too long ago. And granted, it doesn't take away from how great the series, the TV series was. But the, the movie in itself is just, you know, classic. And yeah, I love that movie. I was like, you better not say it's bad. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I love it. Thank the you. fact that you have a doctor who's dealing, a dentist who's dealing with his problems. So they have this big kind of like last supper and yeah. he thinks he's going to die, but they basically fake him out and, you know, give him a fake funeral of some sort. And Lieutenant yeah. Dish, the nurse, coaxes him out because he thinks he's gay. And she coaxes him out by sleeping with him before she gets to go home. Um, but you also hear the lyrics to the MASH theme song, which is Suicidus. Yeah, that was the first time I heard yeah. them. Yeah. Suicidus. <laughs> and that, I had forgotten until I watched the movie recently, Empire Records. I'm like, oh my God, that's like a little subliminal nod to MASH. 25 years after that movie that you're having problems. So fine. We're going to give you a fake funeral and we're going to somehow bring you out of your funk and bring you back to the land of living. So the scene where, um, that same character, what, what what was her name? The girl that shaves her head that you're talking about. I played by Deborah. Deborah. Yeah. So she, (laughs) Debbie Downer. Yep. (laughs) She, um, the scene where that boy that I guess she was like dating and then they broke up and I, I feel like, you know, that's part of why she's upset. Well, when he tries to reach her and she's basically like, I need you to leave. And he's like trying really hard and like, no, I, you know, I'm here for you. I'm sorry about what she's like. I get what you're saying. I need you to get up and walk away. And like she puts her headphones in and I just looked at Nick and I was like, that was real. <laughs> it's like every Every single like woman uh, and every person that was in her life that broke up with that person, uh, you know, male or female has been in that scenario. Like you've either been the one saying you need to leave now or you're the other person on the receiving end. Like that felt like the most authentic teen moment in the whole movie right. <laughs> to me. <laughs> and, you know, it's I think we tend to forget that when you go through something like that, it's just the best thing to do is just to kind of walk away, you know? Well, and your emotions are amped up to like an 11 when you're that age, like every single relationship is like the end of the world. And it's like, nowadays it's like, I'm going to leave you on red, you know, but it's not like (laughs) you're not there in person with them, like hashing it out at the same store you guys work at, you know, it's like, it's just things change when you get older. You just, your relationships change. Right. Um, but you also have those moments where you're trying to, um, you know, get uh, 
you're trying to get somebody back. Also, by the way, I love how Spinal Tap <laughs> has pretty much made the highest number 11 now. It's not 10, it's 11 as a pop culture reference. Um, but one more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, <laughs> you know, again, you're just trying to deal with the breakup and you're trying to get each other back or it's almost borderline stalking. I always remember something about high school dances. Like I've, I've, I've been having a lot of nostalgia about, oh, I remember dancing with a girl and so-and-so. Like um, I was doing a sound check when I was doing a sound check with you earlier and I sent you kind of a recording of that song, Heaven by Brian Adams. My, my nostalgia with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. My nostalgia with that song is that was the first time I made I made out with a girl at a at a dance to that song, and um, but I always remember a guy who just couldn't let somebody go and picked literally the worst song that you could ever suggest at a high school dance and trying to get her back or trying to have the final word. <laughs> he recommended the "Look Away" song by Chicago. And the lyrics are, if you see me on the street, <laughs> you know, look away. <laughs> Maybe he was looking for if you leave me now, and he just uh, spoke the wrong Chicago song. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I, but I, I think that's a very interesting uh, uh, comment, you know, regarding that particular scene about how authentic it really is. Um, but I also, I think Warren is probably the most authentic character in that movie. You're talking about a kid who is crying out, trying to fit in. Instead of casting him aside, they're like, even after the he walks in with a gun, it's like, you just want to be a part of this. You, you're looking for some kind of acceptance. Okay. Yeah. Although I question, you know, in real life, I'm not sure I'd hire a kid that held us no. all up with a gun no. but um no. <laughs> but in a safe story setting yes <laughs> i was like he was giving me intel vibes there for a little bit and i was getting worried but you know he warren turned out to be okay right he got i think the gun was blanks at least right that's true he did so he's like <laughs> i only want to psychologically terrorize you <laughs> just saying and this is my <laughs> way of and this is my way of getting you back for making me t take a picture with rex manning yeah, I'll threaten you with your life in your head, but not really. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Um, but no, no, I agree. Like, he clearly wanted to be a part of that crew. And so he gets accepted and they hire him. And it just speaks to, like, the owner how, you know, he could have easily, you know, arrested or had Lucas arrested. He really should have, debatably. Lucas, who is very young and already, you know, getting a gambling problem, which is sad. Um, but, <laughs> like, you know, he, he treats these kids almost like they're his kids. Like, he's truly concern for their well-being is not just their boss well you know one of the things we didn't really talk about is how that movie starts with the girl showing up at midnight that i just gotta have this music and it's not really about the music she's lonely and she's tapping into yeah. that loneliness through music and talking about i married a truck driver and so you already start off with this philosophical conversation about music and love and loneliness you know and yeah, is it better on cd true. versus vinyl so I think it sets off a really good tone for <laughs> the conversations. But I think for me, uh, 
again, another one of the reasons I love the movie is if you have that really fun job in high school where it, it's not very much, you, do, you don't have very much responsibility, you enjoy what you do, whether you're working at a video store or, you know, record store, and you're getting to have these conversations and hang out with friends and be adventurous and all that. You don't get jobs like that when you're an adult. You just, you're just never going to have absolutely those you know those kind of fun jobs anymore um so another reason it's a great movie because it's also remembering yep this is the best job you're ever going to have in life because <laughs> the rest of them will yeah time. there's I, I was telling someone the other day like i didn't make very much and and i, I don't want to downplay this i think actually starbucks has good like uh you know benefits and you could make a career out of it but I missed just being like a barista and it was just like fun and easy. And what's the worst that could happen? You mess up someone's coffee. Like I, I enjoyed that. If that completely had paid the bills, I would have done that. Um, and you're, you're absolutely right. There's, I had a few jobs like that. I think Suncoast uh, was like that for me too, where it was just fun to work there and I wasn't really making a lot of money, but it was like spending money and still not making a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I don't mean to imply I'm rich now. No, <laughs> I, I mean, give that impression. That's certainly not true, well, <laughs> but, but better than Suncoast money, I guess. I mean, I, I love what we do and, you know, wish we had a huge budget and for you patrons out there uh, for us, if you want to give us lots of money to where we could sit in an office and just talk about nerd shit all day long, while we binge watch whatever's on Netflix, um, we're, we're, we're accepting donations, but, um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> what we need is fund a their lavish lifestyle. <laughs> Throw a lot of money. Who's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> please, give us, please give us your money. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I would like to get in on that gig as well, but Hey, yeah, you do run the nerd show. So in some ways you are living the dream. Well, it is. It, but you know trying to keep up with the website and stuff like that i mean it gets time consuming but these days you know when you're trying to finish a book and you're under a deadline it's just like ah but, you're like i wish i could go back to that record store yeah, <laughs> yeah. or that video I, store. I really did enjoy that time like the my senior year in that video store i 25 years later i still talk about it. it's like we had so much fun um and you know the manager at the time who very OCD, but, you know, very cute. And um, she never really could fully yell at you or anything like that. Um, oh, did you miss you, bosses like that? That's awesome. I know. <laughs> we She'd walk in, why is Blazing Saddles on the TV? You guys She's are like, not angry, not at you, but what you did. Like <laughs> Right. There was this, we, we used to have this policy where um, you couldn't play anything past pg it had to be pg or mm -hmm. less well you know what's pg raiders of the lost ark <laughs> oh boy yeah james bond movies are technically pg movies based on that <laughs> <laughs> you got to get really close to that line <laughs> don't cross yeah. it. star war movies rpg <laughs> so it's like but then you you know you tread the line and uh you kind of broke the mold uh uh, yeah, but uh, you know, playing mall rats when it came out on video, I felt like was kind of our rebellion. It's like, but this is what Kevin Smith would want us to do. This is, you know, yeah, that that's like your version of you know playing a a really uh, 
loaded album that's you know full of curse words oh my god i mean could you imagine working maybe it's not a hundred could you imagine working at a record (laughs) store when you know nwa dropped their first album (laughs) right yeah yeah that would have been like unforgivable um were there any other uh scenes from this movie that we haven't uh discussed yet the only the only thing i want to add is um and i don't mean to be a downer but um uh the only the only scene that I had some trouble with was the part where, uh, again, I'm having trouble remembering all the character names off the top of my head. But there's sort of a little fight between Liv Tyler's character, Renee Zellweger's character, and she sort of you know goes ballistic in the store and throws her pills. And I it seemed like this very serious dramatic scene. I just couldn't take it seriously because I felt like there wasn't quite enough context. I agree. That led up to it. And I think I think this had something to do with the editing, where they I had agree. to cut forty minutes of a story from the film, and maybe maybe that sort of hurt that scene because there wasn't enough to kind of lead up to it. But right. um, to me, to me, I still uh, like the nostalgic factor of it, which I think goes a long way uh, uh, for everybody. Really, nostalgia is important. So, you know. Uh, there are certain references that you don't pick up on when you're younger that you pick up on later. And one reference that I enjoyed was early on when, uh, again, I'm sorry about not remembering all the names, but uh, the Cochran's character, when he says, well, as the immortal doors once said, the time to hesitate is through. And then he makes his way to Atlantic city. It's like, that was really cool. It's like, I, that's a reference <laughs> I would not have understood back then when I first saw the movie, but now I love the reference. So I like the one where uh, Corey is like, I've, I've, I've got to tell her that I love her by 4.37 p.m. That's an excellent <laughs> <laughs> It's so precise. <laughs> like, what? Uh, but no, I mean... I'm convinced. I'm convinced if they did that movie five years earlier, that would have been Matt Dillon in that role. Right. <laughs> uh, I love... I love kind of the ending scene of this movie where it all wraps up with them. They've had the good day and, you know, it, they're on the rooftop and it's, you know, basically like, you know, playing this song by the, the band, uh, the, the, this is the day. Mm-hmm. And, and the funny part about this song is it came out like in 1993, I mean, 1983. So it's a very 80s song that just sort of sums up, you know, uh, everything it's a great epilogue song and we um since alex has been with that nerd show you know we've kind of talked about music movies a lot um we we always have an indie movie of the year and his first year we really debated on what was going to be our indie movie of the year that year and it was between begin again which is a music movie versus chef which again could be a music movie because it's a great soundtrack And the director uh, who did Begin Again has done quite a few others that are popular, you know, music-wise. He did, his first movie was Once, the Irish love story that has that great soundtrack and that one great love song falling We covered that on this podcast, too. Uh, Well, I tell people this. If you haven't seen Once, (laughs) you're not a movie fan. Um, And... You can't tell me why well, I saw the Broadway show. No, nope, not the same thing. Um, especially because <laughs> that movie has Glenn Hassett in it, Hasgard, who was also in The Commitments, another great Irish movie. 
<laughs> but um, the one that we also saw a few years later was Sing Street. Um about the kid who's trying to impress the girl. So he starts a, uh, a rock and roll band in Ireland <laughs> and they make videos. And so I look at this kind of this song as that's that to me, that's a song that would end up in like one of these movies that really just encapsulates yeah. uh, everything and sums up everything about their lives, you know? So that's, to me, it was just a perfect way to end that movie. And then you go into the two guys sitting on the curb outside the store talking about music. Yeah. So. Totally. Well, I guess that brings me to my last couple of questions for you guys. Uh, the first one is just to kind of sum up what we've been talking about. Why do you love this movie so much? And why do you think you've seen it so many times? Alex, I'll let you... Uh, start with that well um i guess in a way i've kind of touched on it i, I think at least in retrospect the nostalgia factor is important to me i think uh, like most people you remember certain details from when you were younger when times were easier and so when i when i see the record store i like seeing the neon lights and all the, the shelves full of you know cds and cassettes and records and what that reminds me of from when I was a kid and how, you know, even though there are still record stores, it's never going to be the same as it was because that's not the preferred medium anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And so it, to me, that, that, that would be the thing that would bring me back, uh, keep, bringing, uh, keep bringing me back to a movie like that. Uh, but I think also just uh, remembering the times in your romantic life when you were really young even at that time when I was, you know, 12 or 13 years old, when you see somebody who you like and it means everything to you because you've never experienced anything before. And so there are these fantasies that you go through in your head and everything changes once you experience reality. And so when I think about the Liv Tyler character, that's kind of what encompasses that for me is she is still living in that innocent fantasy world because she hasn't really had a lived experience when it comes mm -hmm. to romance. So that, that would, I guess, be the, the mental or uh, developmental element that I would take from away and remember the most, uh, I guess, uh, out of all that. Um, I think for me, again, it, it's just more nostalgic because of the time it came out and what I was, uh, where I was working and especially how I discovered it. Um, but I also feel it's very much in the vein of movies like The Breakfast Club or Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I mean, it, it does have a very John Hughes-esque type of feel to it, uh, just yeah. with music. And you look mm -hmm. at the 90s, as, there are a few movies that try to that really try to tap into uh, John Hughes-esque you know, type of film. Can't Hardly Wait would be a good one. This one would be a good one. Uh, Clerks, I think, is another great one. And it really, you're just kind of dealing with, you know, teenage angst and where they are and how the 90s are very different from the 80s, but kids are still yeah. the same. And sure, uh, I knew every one of these people. Um, I feel like the, uh, the boss, even though he's a guy in this movie, I feel like that's how my old boss at a video store uh, really was. And there, 
part of it too is I remember getting my first CD player in high school, and there was I used Record Shop not too uh, not too far from me, where you could get used CDs. In fact, uh, the first two used CDs I ever bought um, was uh, ACDC Back in Black uh, and Actum Baby uh, by U2. And then the first brand new CD I bought was, you know, the Eagles Hell Freezes Over uh, live album. Uh, so, like I said, it's just more nostalgic than anything else. But again, I, I, I think it really does. 25 years later, it's it's like going, to me, it's better than going to a high school reunion. Because you get this really funny kind of entertaining <laughs> story and you still know these people. And I still feel like kids are still dealing with the same issues even today. Yeah. So. I agree. It's still relevant. Um, how would you pitch this movie to someone that hasn't seen it before? Uh, it's high fidelity before high fidelity. It's the breakfast. Yeah. It's you- the breakfast club. Um, and, uh, pretty in pink in a record store. If you like any of those, if you like any of those movies or the, or their themes, you're going to appreciate this movie. Is it as good as some of those films? Maybe not. But again, it's funny. I still feel like it's relevant and you can still relate to the issues that they're going with, uh, going through. Yeah. What about you, Alex? Do you have an, anything to add? I don't know if I have much else to add. I mean, to, to me, it is sort of like, uh, feels like sort of, you know, as we've mentioned before, similar to High Fidelity. So if somebody has not seen High Fidelity, I would say, have you ever seen Empire Records? But if somebody hasn't seen Empire Records, I would ask them, have you seen High Fidelity? And sort of use that as a way to sort of explain the kind of movie that it is, perhaps. Well, here's a question I have for you, though. Um, Because, you know, we're always very different in how we rate things. And at that nerd show, we always rate it one through ten. What what grade would you give it, Alex? Oh boy! <laughs> it's mostly my way of like, are you going to be super critical of this movie? <laughs> Remember, it's I love that movie, so you can only you can't be too critical. <laughs> I'll tell you what, um, just for the nostalgic factor, I have to give it. I'll go ahead and give it a six out of ten. But if I were if I were giving an honest review uh, today, I probably wouldn't go that high. But because of nostalgia, I, I would give it at least a six, which in my mind is still like approving it just barely. Oh, it's what about you, Mark? No, it's, <laughs> a it's, 10, a seven. it's okay on our scale. Okay. I mean, I won't say that it's a great movie. Um, if we were really judging it harshly, I mean, obviously compared to other music movies, high fidelity is way better, uh, especially with their conversations and what the characters are, are dealing with. Um, and I don't know if, the tones of what these characters are dealing with are as serious or as written as serious as compared to the breakfast club and, and, or, you know, pretty in pink. But I think though, you know, Alex touched on something earlier where there's that one scene where things really come to a head and you don't feel like it earned it. Um, I think that's true. And I hadn't thought about the fact that, yeah, you know, maybe the whole movie is a little lighter in tone than the original script was. 
Um, and so maybe there's another version out there. Well, know, I do think, where it went a little deeper. I do think um, they wanted it to be more rated R. Um, but mm. of course, studios are like, no, you can't. For younger audiences that are going to see this, we can't make it that dark. Um, we have to wait till 2020. <laughs> 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 then we can just like have, you know, 13 reasons why oh or whatever God. we want. Yeah. yeah but... <laughs> <laughs> or uh, what's that new one? Uh, Euphoria. Yeah. It's like, we'll just completely throw that out. Well, there. I mean, <laughs> there's like two spectrums of dealing with uh, teenagers going through stuff. There's lighthearted. Yeah, yeah. I work at a music store, Empire Records. And then there's, there's just made, <laughs> like, I appreciate 13 reasons why soundtrack is amazing. Uh, but after like two seasons, like I can't know. <laughs> yeah. Same. I, I got through one season and I'm good. Yeah, I just <laughs> couldn't do it. I need, I don't need like, yeah, it's too look, much. if I want darkness, I will start being, I will start going through um, sons of anarchy again, which is just Hamlet with a motorcycle gang. Yeah, it is. I like that. I show. do too. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, but no, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think um, those comparisons you gave and and also just it's a it's it's 1995. I mean, I think the further, you know, we've got Stranger Things right now and we're really nostalgically looking at the 80s. But the further we get away from the 90s, it's going to be that same way. And this is a pretty good slice of life 90s movie. Well, and I think the nostalgia elevates it now you know in the same way that it elevates some of our classic favorites like ghostbusters and back to the future they're great movies I, and then they're also a little bit elevated by the nostalgia i would i would love to come back on if you would have us and talk about pump up the volume uh, the other one that yeah sure of course that was going to be the next thing i was going to say is you got to think about the next thing you guys want to talk well, about because we'd love to have you I, because i think it's interesting that while we talk about this movie being uh lighthearted um pump up the volume is so much darker in its context, you know, and I almost, I have this feeling that the studio looked at, it's like, look, I know that teenagers are, are dealing with stuff, but we can't have a pirate radio station and somebody committing suicide and freaking out. We, we, we just need the kid spacing out on pot brownies and listening to music. That's, that's okay. But the other one is going too far. So I, I feel like there was that conversation where we have to have you tone it down compared to what you yeah. did. But I also feel like pump up the volume is a little bit more seminal when it comes to teenagers and, and everything they did. And um, I need to get a copy of that movie because uh, it was very underrated. Christian Slater was here at a convention. Oh, I don't know. A couple of years ago. I don't know if you remember that, Lisa. Um, I think so for like Mr. Robot, right? Maybe. I don't know. It was just, it was one of the yeah. fan expos where they really bring in lots of people from pop culture. It's like random. They're like, here's Val Kilmer. And you're like, what? Right. Okay. <laughs> but my uh, my thing about him is uh, I was just standing in line with some friends who wanted to get his autograph. And he was very nice and uh, charming and stuff. And it was also the first time Millie Brown from Stranger Things was at a convention. So she's like photobombing everybody and just having a great time. And um, yeah, but I remember somebody in line who was literally bringing a DVD cover of pump up the volume for him to sign. And I remember oh my his reaction, like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's almost that point where I forgot I even made that movie. Um, <laughs> but 
I love bringing up stuff like that when I when I meet someone uh, that I admire. I did that to uh, Will Wheaton. Uh, I brought up, you know, Stand By Me. And he got very excited. It was like at a Star Trek convention. And he was like, oh, he like came around and like hugged me. I know, me. right. Like, Thank you. Thank you for bringing that right. up. Especially at the time. I mean, now he has got such a great career. But, you know, with Star Trek, there was a, there was a period after TNG ended that I feel like he really wasn't doing a whole lot. And I think it was kind of bumming him out. And so when I came up and said that, he was just very refreshed by that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great to touch upon the the, the more independent things or the or early things yeah. that most people don't remember about. I've done that with directors that we've interviewed in the past. And, um, but yeah, to, but I think Pump of the Volume is another great one to really look at Alan uh, uh, Moiler's career and what he's talking about disenfranchised youth where this is the lighter tone that the studio wanted, but the other one is darker and more serious. Uh, But I mean, it doesn't take away from how great empire records really is and uh, why people still need to watch it. Uh, We, we, we also talk about double features. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you're looking for, you could do, this movie and can't hardly wait. And I think that'd be a perfect double feature. I agree. It made me really want to watch that right. and make Nick watch it, but if you, <laughs> which I'm not sure I feel about that, but he will be watching it. Eventually. Right. But if you also want to get to, <laughs> um, you know, to more serious tones and, you know, conversations, I think clerks and empire records would be a, an interesting double feature at the same time, especially with one movie being in black and white and this one, you know, in color, you're still dealing with some of the same zaniness with your characters, but Kevin Smith, you know, is such a great writer in having these conversations. I mean, that was the brilliance of that movie clerks considering he couldn't mm-hmm. afford to shoot in color. And right. Um, again, people still dealing with the same issues, but it was a little bit darker, more serious compared to a lot of tone. Sure. So you, you can, you still get all that and you get great music, uh, but you're still dealing with teenagers in the mid nineties, you know, mm-hmm. that are just dealing with a lot of shit. And especially yeah. when you're dealing with a big conservative and family value movement. And, um, Oh yeah. It really, it's really at that cusp of before the internet, you know, comes out and people mm-hmm. start having internet and realize there's you know a lot of fucked up shit that you can put up on the internet. <laughs> oh, simpler time. Uh, I know. No. Uh, but uh, you know, we've talked a lot about your show today. Uh, where can people find your show? Just go to thatnerdshow.com. T h a t nerdshow.com. That's where you'll uh, find everything that we do. So, and we do apologize. I've been. Uh, little slacking of recutting some of our uh, podcasts over the past month, trying to get those up on YouTube and on our uh, website. But uh, uh, we generally do our uh, uh, live podcast on Saturday mornings. That's about pop culture. Okay. And then our gaming guys, uh, we're starting a new series about uh, commentary during live gameplay about stuff. Okay. Uh, and we usually try to shoot those episodes on Sunday, even though we might sneak one in. Uh, during a week but yeah that nerd show news reviews even though there hasn't really been much going on over the past few months (laughs) yeah 
Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I highly recommend your show and your content. Uh, you know, we've worked together a few times and it's been really fun. And I I hope to have both of you back. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll write down, pump up the volume. And if you think of anything else, you know, let's let's definitely collaborate again and do that, too. Um, yeah, we got to. Yeah, uh, we got to pull out some of the ones that most people aren't really thinking about. And that actually, you know, watching this movie uh, and with the same director really made me want to go watch Pump Up the Volume again. Um, yeah. Which, again, also has another good kind of eclectic uh, um, soundtrack. But then again, I mean, I feel like we're all missing out, even though I really haven't seen it or any of us, that this Times Square movie about two women escaping a mental facility starting a punk band i feel like there's something there <laughs> yeah but there's tim curry <laughs> in the movie so it's got to be at least somewhat good <laughs> yeah so but thank you very much for having us on the show oh yeah thank you guys so much and uh have a good one ta-ta